Good morning. Thank you so much again for the privilege of being here this day and to worship with you. Uh, it is always a pleasure for me to be a, a part of the Hebron Worship Time and your partnership with us in our ministry with international students. We greatly appreciate that. I know uh, later on this fall there are two Sundays where groups from this church is going to come down and join us. And uh, I want you to know right now how much we value that partnership the impact that you make on the lives of those who come from other countries to study here, and an opportunity for us to multiply our ministry by uh, your being with us throughout those times. So we thank you from the bottom of our heart, and we look forward to serving again with you. When Doug called me several months ago and asked me if I was available for this date, I I was truly honored. Uh, You know that um, in the past when I've been here, I am humbled Uh, by the opportunity that Doug provides for me to do this because you deserve and you have good preaching on a regular basis through Doug and Tim and others who come here. And and so when Doug invites me to come, there is a sense of excitement but also a tremendous amount of trembling in my heart because I know how good they are. Now the benefit for me that it has really improved my prayer life. Okay, I have been praying a lot and asking God to give me grace and mercy and to calm my anxieties in what we do. About the same time when Doug had called me, I attended a conference and we had a Bible teacher there and and he was speaking three different days from the minor prophets. And Jonah was one of those, but what that man did for me was he encouraged me to return back to the minor prophets. He referred those to the, the minor prophets as the white pages of our Bible, okay? The dark pages are the New Testament and Genesis and Psalms, and the white pages are those things that we don't open very often. And he said, these are the white pages. And it is true that I don't spend, or I have not spent an adequate amount of time there, but since I was with that gentleman, he has spurred me on to do that a little bit more. And so it is from that that I come this day. It wouldn't be unusual to hear either inside or outside the church, there are certain things that go on that people remember. Um, Even almost everywhere we travel today, uh, if if you hear the word Noah, you think Noah and the ark. If if the word Moses comes up, Moses and the Ten Commandments. Thank you to Charlton Heston. Okay. Um, If if we talk about David, most people think David and Goliath. All right. If we, we use the word Jonah, we usually think a whale or a fish. Okay. And so whether you're inside the church or not, those are some of the things that superficially, at least, people would say, I I know a little bit about that story. Now, I love to eat fish, but I'm not a fisherman, okay? For me, going fishing is going down to the strip district to Woolies and buy my fish that someone else has caught. That is my role as a fisherman, okay? However, for those of us, if you're like me and you don't fish, our projection of people who like to fish is they all have a story of the one that got away and they usually the 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 further removed they are from the actual event of that day when they caught a fish for a while and it got away is that the fish has gotten a lot bigger the, the battle was a lot longer the effort I gave was more strenuous and when they tell stories like that it's you're overwhelmed by what they went through Well, I would hope that today that we could, by the time that we're done, that there'd be something that we could say, 
that's one that I don't want to get away. That maybe there's something that we're going to find out this day that would be helpful in my, in my growth and knowing my Lord and Savior even more. Now, the name Jonah is actually mentioned before his book that we have. In 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25, there's one sentence in there where Jonah is mentioned. And at that time, it was Jeroboam II who was the king of Israel. And the sentence says something like this, is that when Jeroboam II was the king of Israel, the, the boundaries of Israel were enlarged according to the prophecy of Jonah, the son of Amittai. The same thing we have here. And so when we, when we read about the rest of Jeroboam's time as a king, there's no sense there was any spiritual renewal within the kingdom of Israel, and, and there was not a straightening of any moral compass at all within their lives, but there was a sense of some prosperity in that their, their boundaries were being enlarged, and that there was a sense of safety and protection because of outside countries who were raiding them. And, and Jeroboam must have been able to marshal the troops in a way that they were living at a time that was uh, at least comparatively safer than other times. And, and because that was Jonah's prophecy, I would sense that Jonah was seen in a good light. That when Jonah came around, I would guess that people would have said, Ah, here's the prophet who has told us that God was going to bless us by enlarging our boundaries. And so compared to oftentimes other prophets we read about, he must have had a fairly good standing among the people of Israel. And because what he was prophesying came true in a positive sense for Israel... My guess would be people were thinking, that man Jonah, he's in sync with God. He, he has God's ear. And he is saying what God wants him to say. He's, he's really good in being in mission. Now, Doug told me when he invited me, I know he usually does series. And I said, Doug, is, is there going to be a series? He said, no. He said, in this couple, couple weeks, we're in between series. Uh, but in the fall, our emphasis is going to be is that we're encouraging the people of Hebron to find that place where God is calling you to be involved in somebody else's life. To be in mission with God or to be in sync with God. And that's when I thought, maybe Jonah has something to say that is helpful for us. If we open our scriptures and we see it begins in Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. It says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. Now we need to know that he was called by God to go to the city of Nineveh, which was in the country of Assyria. Now Assyria is one of the perpetual enemies of Israel at that time is that they had this tendency to harass and to, and to bring confusion and chaos to the people of Israel. They would have raiding parties that would come in from time to time and, and cause disturbances. And they gave the, uh, the idea that at any time or day that they could marshal all of their troops and they would come and surround Israel and they would do all that they can to bring it down. 
in some sense, I, I think we might be able to kind of give them the equivalency of, of a modern day North Korea who has that same sense of just being a little bit of a prick in people's hearts in their lives, not always knowing what's going on inside that country and what havoc they might want to bring to the rest of the world this day. And so the word of the Lord which came to Jonah said, go, that's the place where I want you to be in mission today. And usually when we read the scriptures, that when we read something in the sense where God called upon a prophet and said, go and do this, usually the next sentence that we read is that that prophet went and did as God said. But in Jonah, we read something happened differently. In verse 3, it says, but Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. We just need a small geographical lesson here. Nineveh was about 600 miles northeast of where Jonah lived. Tarshish, most people think, most commentators think, was in Spain. 2,000 miles to the west. 600 miles to the northeast, 2,000 miles to the west. Jonah is not saying, I think you got your directions mixed up, God. If you excuse my vernacular, in some ways, Jonah was giving God the middle finger. And he was saying, I'm not going there. It was the biggest no you could ever give anybody. You want me going here? I'm going there. And while it may have started that he was in sync with God, we now get the first sign that he doesn't get it. That there's something wrong with his relationship and his understanding of what it takes to be in mission with God. We're told a big storm erupts. The veterans of the sea were even frightened. They were throwing cargo all over the place, trying to lighten their load. Uh, they had never gone through anything like this before in their lives. And we also read that Jonah went below deck and fell asleep. Sounds familiar to another story we read later on. Soon they, they, they were trying to figure out, is the culprit must be one of us. Who did something that allowed the fury of the ocean and the God who does this to allow this to go through a situation like this? And so they cast lots and the lots came upon Jonah. And so they went down below deck and they got Jonah. And so we read that in verses 8 through 10. Here's the response when they pulled him up and said, who are you? Where you come from? What's happening? What have you done that causes something to go like this? And Jonah says, as we saw in verse 8, he says, So they asked him, tell us who is responsible. And he says, he answered, I'm a Hebrew. And I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. Now that's a great and good creedal statement of faith. And so intellectually we say, hey, Jonah's getting it back. Jonah is back in line. He's understanding, okay? Even though he's in running from the Lord, he says these things. He goes, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and land. I mean, I worship the God who made everything. Intellectually, that's what he said. 
but practically thinking. Let's listen to this. Ask the question, how can you run from that guy? Where are you going to go? Where can you hide? How fast can you run, Jonah? How quickly can the winds take you on that ship? If you are the Hebrew who worships the God of the the Lord of the land and the sea, there's nowhere you can go. And so there's an emotional roller coaster going on in Jonah's life. He says one thing and he does something else. And there's a tremendous amount of confusion going on in his life. Scripture tells us that when they asked him what to do, he says, throw me overboard. In essence, he says, I'm giving up my life. Throw me overboard and the sea will calm. At least the sailors had enough moral compass in their lives to debate that. And finally, when they convinced him, they prayed to God for forgiveness. And when they threw him overboard, thinking he was dead, the sea was calm. And then we know that God sent a big fish and he saved him. And for three days and three nights, sounds familiar again, for three days and three nights he lived in the belly of the well. Chapter 2 is a psalm, a psalm that from the belly of the well that Jonah begins to pray and to cry out, acknowledging the condition of his heart, which was nearly not set right with God. Until finally we come down to verses 8 and 9 where in in the struggle of figuring out, I've said this, but I'm doing this. God knows me. I've tried to run uh, run from him. I cannot hide. In the midst of all of that, he says this, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. He gets it again. He gets it again. And that's great news. So much so, when we go down to chapter 3, it says that the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. He got a second chance. We all like to have second chances, don't we? Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. And Joseph obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah started into the city, going a day's journey, and he proclaimed. And now, if this was his sermon, it is the shortest sermon basically recorded in all of history. In Hebrew, it's only five words. And if there, was, if there was more to it, there, there could be. But all we have is this is the recording of the sermon that Jonah gave to the people of Nineveh. And here's the sermon. Forty more days and Nineveh will be destroyed. Now that is not selling, a, uh, that's not a soft sell at all, is it? He came, basically comes to his head, and here's the message. Forty more days and you're dead. Has nothing to do about the character of God, about the grace of God, about the forgiveness of God, about the Holy Spirit working in one's heart, about having a second chance and all those things. The proclamation is to the people who said, in 40 more days, you'll be dead. And then incredibly what happens is that scriptures tell us that they repent. 
And all of them, from the king on down, it says, they repent, and then sackcloth and ashes, they came, and they even begged God to relent of, of the promise of destruction, and maybe by turning from our evil ways, God will look down upon us favorably. Until at the end of chapter 3 and verse 10, it says, when God saw what they did, and how they turned from their evil ways to have, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. What a great news. What a revival of all revivals in all of history. That God worked in the Assyrians in the capital of Nineveh. But the chapter doesn't end there. The book doesn't end there. And so we come to chapter 4. And here's what God's word says. But Jonah, but Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Have you any right to be angry? And Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for the head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about that vine. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the vine so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint and he wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you have a right to be angry about the vine? I do, he said. I'm angry enough to die. He still doesn't get it. But the Lord said, you've been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? And the book ends. We're familiar with that story. I've been renewed in my reading. And I've grown to the understanding is that book is written about me now. And there's some lessons that we can learn when God calls us to go into mission. The first lesson that we learn is God does not call us to things that are easy. Think of, a, think of Jonah. There was no church in Nineveh. There was no group of believers praying that God would send somebody to come there and start a revival. That he was called to a place where he knew he was walking into hostile and foreign country. He knew that the first word that he said, it would let it be known that he was not one of them. They could tell by his accent and the way he looked. He knew that the message he was going to give wasn't one that they were necessarily looking for. He knew that they were people who were capable of killing at an instant moment and having fun doing it. And it wasn't easy. What God called him to do. But the reality of it is, when we look through all of Scripture, that, that is always the case. 
When we think of Noah, what was God's call? God's call to Noah was, Noah, I, 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 I don't like the way things are going right here. I want to do over. We're going to start all over again. I have chosen you and your family. Noah, I want you to build a boat. And it's not just a little boat. I want you to build a big boat. And I want this boat to be big enough that it's going to hold everything that I've created so that someday that boat will save your lives. And Noah didn't even live close to land, but he was obedient in doing that. I don't think that was an easy thing to do. And if, if Noah even asked God, God, how am I ever going to get this to the water? God must have said, I will get the water to you somehow. Noah, build a boat. And afterwards, he gave him a sign of his blessing, the sign of the rainbow. Abraham later on comes and God calls to Abraham. He said, Abraham, I want you to get up from where you live. I want you to go to a place where you do not know. You don't know where you're going. You don't know how you're going to get there. I want you to go. And when you go there, you're going to be a blessing for me and for many others. That's not an easy thing to do. And when that was all over, he had a sign as well. He had the sign of circumcision. I can imagine Abraham saying to God, but Noah got a rainbow. It's not easy. It's not easy doing what God calls us to do. When Moses was out there in the wilderness, God called him. He says, Moses, I want you to go back to Pharaoh, the most powerful man in all the world. And I want you to go tell Pharaoh that you need to free your, release your free labor force and let them go. And Moses said, wait a second. I, don't you think someone else could do a better job than me? He knew that wasn't going to be an easy thing to do. David, when David was just a young boy, God, God said to him, David, he goes, there's this giant of a man out there. And every morning he gets up and he crawls, he calls across the valley and he makes my troops fall to their knees in fear because they're afraid of him. And so, David, I'm sending you and take a few stones and bring them down. That's not easy to do. And Esther, Esther said, Esther heard from the Lord and received the message. Esther, I want you to go to the king. The king who has already made a decree that all Israelites, all the Jewish people, whoever they they are to be killed. And Esther, I want you to go to the king and tell him who you are, where you've come from, and see what he does. That's not easy to do. And how about Mary? A young woman. Who God said, God came to Mary, I've, I've chosen you. You're going, to be, you're going to be pregnant. And I know you're not married yet. And I know that probably means that you're going to, most people think you're going to be divorced. Your family will disown you. And when you walk around town, everybody's going to point at you and talk behind your back. Oh, and by the way, Mary, that's my son. That's my son who you have. That's not very easy to do, is it? And then there's Jesus. Who, when God said, my people have broken the bridge. By their sinfulness, they have fallen out of relationship with me. And they cannot rebuild it. 
I need somebody who, who is without sin who will go and, and build that bridge and bear the punishment of their sin and go through abandonment with me for a short period of time so that all those people I love can be saved. That's not easy to do. God will never call any one of us to do anything easy. Now, I'm not saying that God is going to call you to build a boat or to be involved in labor and management issues or work with young women who have unplanned pregnancy. I have no clue what it is for every individual, but I do know this, that it will not be easy. That nowhere do we read in Scripture does God say, I have something for you to do, and don't worry, it's going to take little effort, nothing. Those are what committees and churches do, okay? Committees and churches say, we'd like you to serve, and you don't have to give a lot of time, and it's not a whole lot of energy, and you just come two times a year and do something like that. that if you get that call, that's from the committee and the church, okay? The call from God will be, that's going to be a really, really hard thing to do. But we need to remember the God who calls us is the same God who called Jonah, the Lord of the land and the sea. And we can't hide from him and we can't run from him. And it will be difficult. Second lesson we learn, that sin has more than one life and does not give up its grip on us easily. Now, have I, have I, as I have spent more time in this book than, than normally, I've, I've come to grow to see something that I knew was, it was always there. It just didn't happen. God just didn't put it in in the last couple of months. It was always there, but I just wasn't seeing it. I mentioned earlier that at times Jonah appears to be in sync with God. There are times he gets it. There's times he doesn't get it. And then he gets it. And then he doesn't get it. And we go back and forth. And we look at it and he said, we call him a prophet? That's what a prophet does. And we look at those type of things and we're going to mock him. But the reality of it is, is that that book is written so that I may see who am I as well. And the reality of it is, I'm like Jonah. There are times that I do believe I get it. And I confess there are times that if you saw me, you would say, he definitely doesn't get it today. And I have that same roller coaster that I get it and I don't get it. And the reality of it is it's because I need to grow with the understanding that sin has a tight grip on my life. And it's not easily giving up on that. And although there, there, there are days when the victory of Christ may be seen in what we say and what we do, but there are also days when the grip of Satan has me so tight that it's hard to even see what Christ has done in my life. Jonah is a case study for people like me. And how is it? How do we see this in Jonah? How do we get some inkling of what it's like? Well, we, if we look in the life of Jonah, this is how we see it. It, it, it. We can see there's this time when sin has a grip on him. The indication for us that Jonah doesn't get it is that he doesn't love people. If we go back down to chapter 4, verse 6, it says, Then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head. To what? To ease his discomfort. You see, the discomfort that, that, that Jonah was feeling wasn't in relationship to anybody else. 
that this comfort was in relation to who he was at that particular time. That he wanted shade. It was a hot day. There's nothing wrong with wanting shade. But on that particular day, it was clear now evident that in Jonah's life, he loved comfort more than he loves people. And I wonder in my life, do I have that same issue? Are there times when I love comfort more than I love people? Well, again, for, for, for Jonah, it's the Assyrians. And, and we can make a good case why he shouldn't love them, right? They, they harass, they oppress, they raid, they kill, they destroy. I, I can make a fairly good argument that they, they're not to be loved. And they're not even capable of being loved or, or loving back. And yet, the same person who, may, who has those feelings toward the people of Nineveh is the same one who says, I worship the Lord of the land and the sea who makes everything and everybody. And so what God says is that you don't love them, but I do. And I want you to tell them how much I love them. And that is a hard thing to do. question is for all of us, are there any Ninevites in our life? Are there anybody, is there anybody out there that right now I just, I, I, I'm really having a hard time loving today. That I would, I would, ra- I, I'd rather enjoy the routine of my life. That oh, puts me into places where I can say I'm doing things for God, but don't take me out of my comfort zone and put me in places with people. That quite frankly, I don't love. But God says, I love them. And you need to tell them that. And the third thing that we see, that in spite of God's desire to do amazing work in and through us, we still want to do things our way. End of chapter 3, it's a Billy Graham crusade. Thousands of people come out of the stadium, okay, to give their life over to God. You, I, maybe, this is, maybe Jonah said, the buses will wait. Okay, come on down. Now's the day. Whatever it was, uh, thousands of people came in a relationship with God on that particular day. If anybody should have been excited, if anybody should have gone to bed last night and not been able to sleep, it should have been Jonah. If that would happen here, I'm telling you, you guys would not sleep. Okay, we'd be up all night. We'd be telling good stories. We'd be praising God. We would call Doug over in England, wherever he is right now, and tell him all the good things that are going on. And everything would be there. And we would be overjoyed with what God had done. But that is not how the, how the book ends. The book ends with the words in chapter, but Jonah. And Jonah is still not happy. There are things that are really bugging him so bad. He, he, he is disturbed that God is being true to his revelation. He is upset that God is being true, that he is a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And in the midst of his anger of, of, to God and his, his dislike for the Assyrians, he has forgotten completely 
that in chapter 1, he was a recipient of that same grace and mercy that when he was thrown overboard, God sent a great fish and swallowed him up. And in the midst of the belly of the well, made the revelation of the goodness of God. And all he, he'd forgotten everything about that. Jonah was upset that God was more liberal in his application of mercy than he was with his justice. And he wanted it his way and not God's way. Look how God responded to him. He asked him three questions. The first one was, after, after all that was going on, and he, God, said, God said, have you any right to be angry? In essence, he's saying, Jonah, look inside your heart, man. He goes, can you remember what I did for you? He said, don't forget that I can do it for everybody and my desire is for all to have that as well. Jonah, I want you to have the privilege of being in sync with me, of being in mission with me. And seeing others have that same life that you have. Too many times I'm like Jonah too. I've forgotten the extent of God's mercy and grace. And wish there was a little more justice being handed out. Second question we find there in the next part of the scripture when Jonah it says he went out and he went out to look over the city. What, he, what, was he, what was he waiting for? I think he was waiting for day 40. I think he was waiting to see, all right, God, I preached the message. You said in 40 days they're going down. I'm, I, I got a front row seat. I'm going to see this happen. And when it didn't, he couldn't understand. He built a shelter there, and God even provided a vine. It grew up overnight, and the next night it was dead. And all that was because of what God had done. And so then, he asked the question, do you have a right to be angry about the vine? You see, that's, our, that's where all the attention of Jonah was. It was on a vine. There are 120,000 people and some cattle, too, that God was more interested in that day. And so God brings up the heat. And so at the very end, he said, you've been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or you did not make it grow. It sprang up overnight. It died overnight. And Nineveh has all those people. I care for them. And then he closes. A curious way to close a book with a question. The third one. Should I not be concerned about that great city? Earlier, Jerry read the story of the prodigal son. A familiar one as well. We know it. Father and two sons. The younger son basically says to a father, I wish you were dead. Give me my inheritance. He gets it granted. He takes it off and he spends it all. He comes back uh, hanging his head low in repentance. The father runs out to greet him, hugs him, and kisses him. As we're going to have a big party going on here. When the party's going on, the elder son, who has been faithful through all those years and were obedient to his father, comes back from the fields, hears the music, calls to one of the servants, wants to know what's going on. He says, your son who was gone is now back, and we're having a big party. The son refuses to go. I don't want to go there. So much so that he causes his father to make him come get him too. 
very culturally a bad thing to do. And so the father comes out and they have that discussion. And the, and the son says, I've been here the whole time. Your younger son was out and just messing around with all that you had. And you're throwing him this party. And the father says, he's lost. He was lost. He's now found. I wish you'd come to the party too. I'd like you to be there. Well, the book of Jonah ends with a similar question. Should I not be concerned about that great city? And the answer is now left for us to write. The great city is now all that God has created. And the question is, am I not concerned with what the Lord of the land, of the sea and the land has has called me to do? And am I willing to do that? And am I willing to confess when my comfort keeps me from loving him? Acknowledge that it may not be the easiest thing to do. And follow the directions of the one who made it all happen. We will write the story ourselves. Write it well. Others will read it. And others will hear. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are too much like Jonah. I am, at least. I confess that. And so may the story that I write be one that is in accord with your desire to serve well. That you, the Lord of the land and the sea, will be honored and others will come to know you. In Jesus' name, amen.